Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo!
Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of May 14th, 2015. I am your host, Jose Otero. And joining me this week, Per Schneider is back with us. Hey, Pizzicato. Best wishes to Brian Altano, who is away on a vacation. He won't be Ooh. back till June 1st. Uh, but filling in, at least for this segment for him, Brendan Graver. Splat, splat. Welcome Not back, rap, rap. man. Hi. Good to be back. And if you can't tell, we're going to start off by talking about Splatoon. Which is, I, you know what's funny? I didn't realize. I haven't worn headphones while we talk in a while, so I'm like, why does oh, yeah. that sound so weird? Okay. It's because I don't normally listen to this anymore, right. so I'm going to take these off. Right. But kick it off. So the Global Test Fire was this weekend. Did it. I played it in go? two of the I played in two of the Global Good. Test Fires. The 4 a.m. one, ultimately, I said no. It was just too early. Fun fact, I woke up at 4 a.m. You did by, it? By complete wow. accident. Okay. Not because I wanted to. I was really My tempted, alarm though. accidentally went off. Nope, I did not set an alarm. And then, <laughs> obviously, we played a little bit afterwards, too. Okay. With, you know, the non-global test fire version. Yeah. yeah. But, well, let's talk about how the test fire went, though. Uh, for the most part? Good. What I mean, how'd you feel, impressions-wise? You played. Brandon, yeah, I, I was uh, surprised. Like, I wasn't sure, like, if the, uh, the, the hour-long segments would actually work. Uh -huh. But it kind of made sense. The matches were really quick, three minutes. So it was, I was able to get, like, a lot of missions in. Um, and there was very few drop connections. I think I only had, like, one time, like, one player dropped out, so three versus four. Other than that, it was actually really good. Uh, I was impressed. It was really fun. Like, remind me, what what was unlocked in that version? You couldn't do anything but battle, right? Like, uh, that's correct. Yeah. You did the tutorial mission. Yeah. You, so you created yeah, a you squid start link. with the tutorial. You, you played the tutorial section, and you can play the tutorial section again, but then it was picking from, I think it was four, four weapon yeah. sets. Yeah. yeah, four. Well, they're weapon sets. They don't want to call them loadouts because yeah. you don't really customize them. I know, I know. Just terminology, yeah. man. I, I don't, I don't make it. But uh, yeah, so you had the splat charger, the splat roller, the uh, splatter shot, yeah. junior, and the splatter shot junior, yeah. the Uzi looking one, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and you just jumped in and That's played right. as many matches and there, as you can. And there was no progression. And I think you know now that we've played the game a little bit more, I really love the the progression and the additional things you do. Yeah. But in the test fire, it was very focused on just matching you up with random players yep. and just mm -hmm. going. Um, connection was pretty good most of the time. I had a couple of hang-ups. You did. Where, yeah. you know, like I was I was stuck in matchmaking for a long time with three people in the room, and it just wouldn't go anywhere. And actually, This was during the I, test fire. Yeah, during the test fire, I'm like, I'm wasting time here. I reset my Wii U because there's no back out, yes. which is yeah. ridiculous. You, this up. you can't yeah. back out of a match yeah. once you're waiting for matchmaking, uh, which is bizarre. I wish they had. I understand why they're doing it. They don't want people to jump in, jump out, depending on what players they yeah, see. Yeah, I'm sure that but plays like, how But give them like a 20-second or something, but... It, it it really w was a bit of an issue that you couldn't back out. But then uh, when the game ran, the game ran great. Mm -hmm. I had yeah. no lag issues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I handed the controller off to uh, my, my oldest uh, two kids. We kept on swapping around. They completely loved it. You know, when the test fire was over and Nintendo wasn't kidding around, they stopped right when oh, yeah. the, the hour well, is I up. tried. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah. I stayed so in mean. the tutorial mission to yeah. see what could happen and nothing. <laughs> but the minute you leave, ah, uh, get out. We're done. Um, I will say that the test fire was the first time it dawned on me that three minutes for a match is just right for Splatoon. Yeah. Like, it's not too long, and it doesn't feel like you're there for these crazy long stretches of time like I felt with other multiplayer shooters, action-type shooters I've played. Yeah. Uh -huh. It feels like just when things are starting to heat up, you got that 10 seconds, and it's like, oh, my, and you're just panicking to color yeah. something at that point. I'm glad for the one-minute uh, warning. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also the fast respawn times, I think, really help like get back into the battle. 
even if you're not a really good player and you get shot out a lot, you can get back right in, jump, use that super jump. Super jump's a really good function. Yeah. They are. I, I really love it. And it that's for everybody who has. Uh, oh, no, go ahead. For everybody who hasn't played it, on the game pad, you can see the other players and your home base, and you can just and a map. tap it on, yep. on a map, and you can tap um, you know, their, their name tags and jump instantly to yeah. their location. Like there's a, an animation that shows you squid uh, jumping, basically, and then the other player sees a little circle on the ground where you're going to land. So when you, when you get splat, or I guess when you die, um, in that game, I do find it interesting that immediately my impulse is look at the map, tap something, and just keep. Oh the yeah, yeah, yeah! I do that because too. Because I just want to get back in. Yeah. I almost wish they had a system in place where if I tap someone right after I died, yeah, I can jump to that spot as long as that person is still alive. It locks it and in. And if they die, yeah. then I have to switch to someone else. Kind of I think that'd yeah. be a, a great. Because I'm feature. just furiously tapping I, the screen, like but, let me back in the match. I gotta say, it also adds to the adrenaline rush of this game because it it has that high adrenaline feeling off like a shooter like a like a call of duty titanfall like a quick respawn shooter it definitely has that mm -hmm. i mean i had shaky hands after a couple of matches because yeah, it's really exciting but it also has that mario kart level of i don't know if we're gonna win or if we're gonna lose and i really really like that like yeah. you you look at the map of course and it you probably shouldn't look away from the screen too often but you have the option to see how you're doing and how the team is doing and like sometimes it's just too close to call I, yeah. i'd say like in matches that i play maybe 50% of the time, it was too close to call who's going to win. And so you've got this moment at the end where it's like, like who's winning? Yeah, you know? and it hangs the percentages at exactly the same number. And sometimes yep. you look at the map and you're like, we totally got this. Yep. This is not a problem. And then it ends up closer than you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other times where it's just flat out you lost yeah. and you didn't see it coming. There's also um, really good uh, ways to kind of come back. Mm -hmm. uh, like I've had, I had a, I one match, like we were swamped. We were like, they were at our spawn point. Almost camping us. Yep. But then I found a way to jump to a patch they forgot, and I went behind them and then just started painting the entire area. That's and they never looked at the map because they weren't dying. It's yeah. so easy to get get hung up in a firefight or trying to get somebody out when really what you should be doing yep. is get the heck out of there, find a corner of the map that you can take over. Well, yeah. and the first thing that runs through my head when I'm deep on their side of the map, because most, if not all of the maps, I believe are symmetrical, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you are in their territory and you haven't seen one of them for a while, yeah. all that's going through my mind is, my God, they're, they're all back at our They're base. back home. <laughs> right now. That leads them home. Yeah, we're all purple on the other side of the field. Like it just it, it starts putting in your mind like uh, to to just kind of pay more attention to the gamepad. But I will say it is I find it difficult to split my my uh, my time between staring at the screen and staring at the game cards. I feel like one look down and I can get like just splat like just I straight out take when out. I died then I would look at the game. Yeah, but me I feel too. like in, at times that's a little too late. Like I True. and there's no mini map, so there's no way to really know who's close to you or what's happening. If you watch the gamepad you see that on the map, the color is slowly getting spread out. And you see, when you see enemy ink showing up on your side, you know, well, clearly they're they're closer to us than mm -hmm. I think they are. Yeah. Um, but I thought I, about that. I don't that. know how that impacts how I feel of the game. It's, I, I feel like the solution you have works. And it's obviously one that only works with this gamepad and main screen setup. And I do like that the screen is free of clutter and mm -hmm. that, you know, it's a bit of an element where, like, you think you're safe, so you quickly look down at the gamepad, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to make that decision rather than always having that map there and maybe using the D-pad to jump to somebody, which would have been an option yeah, too, yeah. right? Um, no, I, li I like the way it's set up. I, okay. I got to say, I mean, overall, I walked away from the test fire thinking, I want to play more. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I was not done with it after that one hour. They did a good job limiting your playtime too, where you're like nervous that it was going to end. And mm -hmm. I bet most people 
went through that entire hour and wanted to keep on playing. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I will say, though, I guess I should ask you guys, since we're still talking about this, we're, so we're playing the review build right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put probably I've finished probably half of single player, but I'm only allowed to talk about uh, at least up to three worlds. Single yeah. player feels does not feel like an afterthought, which I think was a concern for a lot of people. That was like, my worry. Is, yeah, this yeah. is a Titanfall campaign. Like, there's no way. I think you said that actually last week. Yeah, you last episode. I, you know, yeah. I, I thought it was a little closer to kind of recycling arenas and being more of bot combat, but it's not that at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's very, very different. Different. There um, is some, there is a, a style of bot combat that happens mm-hmm. every so, uh, every couple of worlds. I, I mean, I can't get too deep into it, but... Yep. Um, it's one of the few ideas that doesn't, I, th- I think, work super well. Yeah. But in terms of the stages themselves, there's a lot of variety. They'll have one with um, invisible pathways that yeah. you have to use ink to uncover where you can move across uh-huh. because everything is like you're just walking over like empty pits, essentially. It's one thing that really struck me when like multiplayer is, you know, fast, frantic shootouts, covering ground, who gets the most territory. Single player felt more like almost like. Some parts were like, like stealth oriented, trying to sneak up on on the enemies mm-hmm. and like clearing these blocks Distract. by block and like in a puzzle element as well. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. puzzle, stealth, and kind of like clearing it, yep. base by base. It's like a it's it, I you know I feel like it's almost like a Mario Sunshine minus the kind of the jumping aspect, yeah. right? It's clearly not a platform. You can jump. There's some areas where you have to you have to jump between platforms and and like ink them to get over there. But overall, the game is definitely much more shooting based. Yeah. But it does have that sunshine element of like you know coloring in areas, taking down enemies with the the, the paint spray. Yeah, but it's not just shooting as well because it still flips around. I just played a level that I think I have to dance around this one because it might be too late in the campaign, but it involved something that was happening and I had to sort of shoot ink and still be mindful of this thing. Yeah. And it ultimately made platforming a lot more challenging because the levels are super vertical and mm-hmm. I have to, it, it just, it kind of surprised me how difficult it can get, how many skills you have to use at once, oh, yeah. essentially, to like keep your eye out for this enemy but also pay attention pay attention because something's happening with the platform itself. Yeah. It was nuts, man. Like so, it's really cool. It was interesting. We were playing yesterday, and we were using FaceTime to talk to each other. So let's talk about that. <laughs> Actually, I did no. want to ask if the absence of voice chat is a big detractor for you guys. Uh, this weekend, we had an editorial that went up on the site, sort of bringing up that the not having the option is a missed opportunity yeah. to an extent, and I think that's 100% fair. Um, but I'm curious how you guys feel about this sort of playing in silence. Well, I, I mean, I saw a couple of reactions from folks saying I'm not going to pick it up because it doesn't have voice voice chat. I think that's a huge mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the way the game is designed and like I, I do have some issues with some of the design choices, but the way the game is designed is almost like this game of roulette. Like you start a match, you don't know who you're going to be paired up with, mm-hmm. at least in this version until there's you know other matchmaking modes later. But like yep. you don't know who's going to be on your team, even if you match up with your friends. You don't, you know what weapon you have, but you cannot adjust or change anything. And yeah, so it's true. kind of like the match that ensues is like, okay, here are the cards you're dealt. Now figure it out in three minutes. It's this frantic kind mm-hmm. of Mario Kart like mm-hmm. experience. Um, I do wish I could change my loadout or my weapon, and I could talk to my team before Only to a match. Only my friends, right? though. I think like with random, random, random people, I don't really get yeah. into chatting with random people in any shooter uh, that I play, um, or any game that I play that's multiplayer based. Honestly, I, I, it's more the buddy experience with a friend who's far away. Like that's really cool. 
Um, but I will say, uh, yeah, there's a lot there that is instant visual communication. It's just it, yeah. it's a shame though because I feel like with Mario Kart and with Smash Brothers, two other multiplayer heavy games that do have uh, did also lacked voice chat, yeah. didn't face the same. Um, opposition i feel splatoon is getting because okay for example in mario kart mario kart is not really primarily a team-based game online yeah like it doesn't matter how anyone else really races it ultimately comes down to each each person for themselves smash brothers you can argue could use it but everything in smash brothers unfolds on one screen so if you're doing team doubles for example well first of all um yeah in in a double situation you can only play on the couch together anyway yeah but let's say for example it was online because everything happens on one screen, I don't think you really have to have super intense communication because you ultimately have to be able to see, hey, is he handling business against that other opponent or yeah, not? Yeah, that's a lot more visual than audio. Yeah, whereas this... in Splatoon, you have three other people in random places on the map, and that does affect, hey, I need help over here. We're and, losing this territory. And to be fair, I, I do think that if you end up with an imbalanced team, you can get screwed. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, the game right now does not support post-matchmaking, decision-making like yeah. that. So it's not like even talking about it would help at this point. I do think that in the future they should think about uh, adding communication. A couple of times during the match, man, I just wanted to tell the guy behind me, watch out, there's somebody sniping. Like there, there's this guy who was camping on top of a, of a high spot and he yeah. was picking people off. And yeah. like you want to tell your teammates saying, watch out, this guy, Sniper this guy over is over there. there. Or... No, 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 don't go behind that corner. There's somebody uh, hiding in the ink. You want to tell people. Just follow <laughs> me and don't yeah. firefight here. I'm yeah. kind of glad there's no voice chat just because you'll hear me just, ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. When I get I, splat. I did hide in the ink on you a couple of times. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, you jumped out with the splat roller and just yeah. but, went but to I, town. But I would not say, like, I, I mean, my ideal solution is the ability to talk with my friends, just like in every other shooter or team-based game, mm-hmm. but not at the expense of being able to play others, right? Like, isn't Mario Kart, like... You either talk with your friends and only play with your friends or you don't talk at all, right? That's like right. that's the mm-hmm. approach. And like I wouldn't want that approach either because getting eight players together is really, really difficult. That's right. It. Sure. And so I would love the ability to be be able to chat with my friends while waiting. And one thing Right now, we're obviously playing yep, re- yep. pre-release versions. The The wait is very long for matchmaking yeah, right now. And so long. I would like something else to do, uh, At least you got the little not just pad. squid jump. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and that's the weird thing, too. We were talking about it last night, and I feel mm-hmm. like squid jump is sort of a nice, a nice, a nifty <laughs> little feature, but mm-hmm. it doesn't address a bigger issue, which is that for a game, and I'm going to end it here. We'll definitely pick this up next week on the podcast because we got to actually move on. Um for a game that has so much variety in the weapons and the tools that you use to ultimately paint your canvas, yeah. they lock you into a lot of decisions. And yeah. rather than give you access to switch up your, your, your equipment while you're waiting for the next match, you can just play a game to pass the time. Yeah, I just feel like it, it misses a, a bigger issue, unfortunately, I, it, for that game. It feels like that element isn't done. Like It's less of a design choice and more of a... We couldn't get this done. I do think they will eventually give you the ability so. yeah, to do too. that. I it's very important. So. But because everything else that's in this game, the way it feels now, the satisfaction when you take somebody out sure. is great. It's okay. just really, really good. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thanks, Brendan. And Pear, we're going to come right back because we have some special guests to talk about Zelda and a really cool comic called Second Quest. Stay with us. <laughs>
welcome back. Jose Otero here with Per Schneider. Hey, Jose. And we are joined by two special guests this week. So uh, we are here with the writer and artist of Second Quest. Second Quest is a comic which you can check out online by visiting www.secondquestcomic.com. It was kickstarted in November 2012 by 1,594 backers. So we have with us Tevis Thompson, who wrote it, hey. and David Hellman, who Hello. is the artist. Uh, folks may also know some of David's work from, you worked on Berade, if I understand, mm -hmm. and you also had another right. graphic novel you worked on as well. This is my first graphic novel, but uh -huh. I did a webcomic called A Lesson is Learned, But the Damage is Irreversible with writer Dale Baran. Okay, cool. And Tevis's work is also on the internet. I know that you've done some work for Grantland in the past, I believe. You yeah. had a really strong uh, essay on Saving Zelda, which we will get to at some right, point right. as well. Cool. Awesome. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having right. us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, give folks sort of the pitch on Second Quest. Like, what is it? What is sort of the, the overall story that you were aiming for here? Well, it started when we played Skyward Sword and were left feeling uns uh, dissatisfied, I guess, by the uh -huh. experience. And Tevis wrote an excellent essay called Saving Zelda that uh, summarized how a lot of people felt, I think. Um, you want to say anything about Saving Zelda? Yeah, we um, we didn't know each other before that. Okay, so okay, got it. I wrote an essay, and then the magic of the internet and Twitter, I guess, put it, brought us together. But um, I I'd played it, and actually I'd played Demon Souls that fall. That was pivotal because you know when you play something, it uh -huh. disappoints you. Eh, maybe you don't want to write about that. But then I also played something that inspired me. Demon okay. Souls was yeah, like a big thing uh -huh. to me. Yeah, and, yeah. So anyway, that kind of led to that essay, and uh, it was just all about. Not just says Skyward Sword, but how I felt the the series had kind of declined over time, okay, um, okay. and so it, it went through some of that, and then we just started talking after that. And, sure. Uh, who reached out to who exactly? I reached out to you, I think, mm -hmm. and I, I did a landscape drawing because I just felt inspired by Tevis's essay. So right away we were kind of doing art together. I felt like, yeah, I want to somehow express what I really, you know, uh, what I'm really looking for, maybe looking for in the Zelda game, that sense of exploration and free adventure that I didn't ever quite get to playing Skyward Sword. I always felt like it was right around the next corner, but I was never left alone to really have true discoveries. Mm -hmm. So it started with this landscape drawing, and, um, and then we started discussing uh, doing a short comic to kind of convert the ideas in the, in the essay into something like in a narrative form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being a 102-page graphic novel. It was one page <laughs> at the <laughs> beginning. I had yeah. a one-page idea. First of all, I, th I think, I mean, the irony that Skyward Sword wasn't that inspirational but then inspired you guys to do this is, <laughs> is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. But, um, like, and when you started this project, though, did you think, um, were you first thinking about doing something that is on the nose? It, it's Legend of Zelda, and it's like you're telling a story in that universe? Or did you always think you wanted to do something that reminds people of it? It's, it's a reference but not a, a, a true Zelda story. Well, it actually started as more of a Zelda story, and mm -hmm. it evolved to the point that it's not a Zelda story, though if you know Zelda, you'll see a lot in there that uh -huh. has particular meaning. But I think the initial idea was um, to kind of reframe the story from Skyward Sword in uh, a way that would foreground our actual read of it, which is different from how it seemed to want to be received. That mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. the way it wants you to feel is that you know you become a hero and that... Zelda has made uh, meaningful sacrifices to take her, you know, goddess form. Her goddess mm -hmm. form and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, accept her destiny in, in, in this role, this role play that is repeated throughout the series. Yep. But instead, it, it didn't feel 
the way I think they wanted us to. Instead, I, instead I was struck by how um, how kind of interesting Zelda is at the beginning, and how she ends up being completely um, silenced. You know, like yeah. she was better drawn at the beginning of the game when she's up there, you know, uh-huh. on the island, and and you know, other Zeldas haven't. I mean, they've they've done some stuff with her, but she felt like a real girl basically. Yeah. yeah. And then once she got got sucked into a tornado and like you know all that and embraced her destiny, she you know went into like a crystal, was silent. You know. Yeah. They always go that she goes to sleep or she goes you know there's the weird bit where she's like i have to go purify my body in the springs she's wearing white a white gown Mm -hmm. yeah like a cult cult and you have i mean a lot of the elements of it feels very ritualistic like the people of your universe here keep on reliving the same story over and over that's right and Um, they only want it told a certain way yeah yeah right and that is i think a cornerstone of the zelda games the way they've been iterated and it's it's so self referential and reverential Mm -hmm. and I think fans kind of a lot of fans expect that and want that Mm -hmm. want it to be kind of retold very faithfully and it's upheld as a virtue but it feels stifling to us Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that goes goes into the territory of your essay, obviously, and we, we should talk a, a little bit about Absolutely. that as well. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I really, I, first of all, I love the the book. It's really cool. Thank you. Um, so, folks, if you if you want to order it, where can you find this? Like, you can get it online. Secondquestcomic.com. Yeah. And is and you can get hard copy and digital. And yeah. digital. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Fangamer. Uh, there's a link there to Fangame where they do the hard copy, but you can get the digital right there. Yeah, you should yeah. check it out. We're not going to give away what happens in the in the book, yeah, but no, it's a really totally, cool story. Especially if you're a Zelda fan, you owe it to yourself to check it out. But it's also like if you know the background of your essay and ultimately your dissatisfaction with Skyward Sword, I think, takes on a new meaning. I mean, I think Zelda fans are instantly going to spot the references like the pig thief and uh, and mm-hmm. all these characters yeah, that's but, right. uh, but I really like that that kind of additional level where you guys you know criticize the the direction of the franchise which that's I right. thought was really interesting yeah but do you think some of those elements that sort of the self-referential nature of it all do, do you guys think that part of it is just sort of the trap of being a franchise do you think it's the trap mm-hmm. of just you know the expectations that come with Zelda I mean how did how I just I always struggle with how it, someone can get around them you know what yeah, I, mean? I don't think you can play video games without like basically embracing the sequel mentality mm-hmm. right That's because right. every game even games that are not named sequels the whole process of making games is iterative and so you have these mechanics that are just you know they're sequels to other games that that you don't even think about being That's so right. it's uh I, we were definitely we were thinking about specifically Zelda but we were trying to broaden and think about modern gaming and think about you know mm-hmm. the whole the whole experience of a franchise because you know someone who started with Skyward Sword you know they're you know that's their first Zelda then that's a totally different experience if you've played all of them since like 1987 that's right <laughs> then you know that's that's i guess for us what i don't get are the the new fans i i understand why they might you know enjoy it in a different way yeah. than i do but people who played it all their lives i'm like I got, aren't you tired? Like, you know. Well, like, you're asking us, right? Yeah, I mean, right. we're still yeah. playing them. We can talk about that. I, yeah. But, you know, your, your point is like, if, if you look at a franchise like Halo, for example, I mean, the developer is, can make the decision to take one of the guns and make it feel different in the next game. And they will probably upset 90% of their fan base. Or they can say, all right, we got to make sure the pistol feels exactly the same way, cause the same damage. And I think with Legend of Zelda, you've got this, um, you know, you, you've got this interesting dilemma where it's like you walk around the overworld and you see a hookshot target. And that means different things to different people. To my daughter, you may not, never have played a, a 3D Zelda game before. Sure. 
She goes, I don't know what that is. That's cool. And walks past. I go, ooh, there's a hook shot in the game. So now I'm going to remember that I have to come back right, here, right? And right. it raises the expectations. But I'm with you. I do think, you know, over time, you know, apart from the, the kind of sense of freedom, obviously, that you talk about, too, that, that's kind of lost where you can't really go everywhere. Skyward Sword's almost a side-scroller in a way, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Right. But... Um, there, there is not enough new to actually surprise you. Where it doesn't feel like everything you see, like you all, you almost already know the solution to everything you see as a trained gamer now. Right. Yeah, and like, and I do think though, different people react differently to that too. Like some people are happy with the familiar and are excited about what lies ahead, and they dream of getting this item that they know will unlock this. But some other people, like you, will go, well, you know, same. Same story, different game, you know, and same tool. So I already know what's coming next. And right? it seems like with Zelda in particular, it purports to be an adventure, right? Mm -hmm. And an advent, like to me, just I'm not trying to harp on what an adventure is, yeah. but it, I understand. But money games have familiar stuff that you just, you know, it's like comfort food, and you and you enjoy that. But I, for an adventure, I just don't think you can call it an adventure if you've been on it before. Sure. <laughs> you know, well, I, I mean, but that's the point of the the franchise too, right? No, like I, the hero is reborn. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the repetition is one issue, yeah. maybe. But um, there's also just the hand holding is the shorthand, I guess. Right. Yeah. For it, for it. But but um, I mean, don't you want to be set free in a world and allowed to take some risks and allowed to screw it up and and get you know get killed and then yeah. think, wow, I can't believe I got to that crazy place and I don't think I was supposed to be there. You yeah. know, that would happen in the first Zelda. It happens in games like Dark Souls where you can yeah. stumble into, you know, some really dangerous area and die and think, oh, my God, like, that when would... am I going to be able to conquer that? Right. Or maybe you're a good enough player that you can mm -hmm. dodge around the, the lionels or whatever they call it, throwing the swords, and yeah, you can, yeah. like, survive for a while in the mountains and feel really cool because yeah. you can do it. But Skyward Sword, you know, it's like instead of creating an interesting system with good rules and allowing the game to evolve out of the, the rules and the, and the space they give you, it's so it feels so concerned with maximizing your entertainment at every point and giving sure. you something new at every step that it never leaves you alone and it's just so overbearing mm -hmm. like so and uh Fi is especially <laughs> true of that just, yeah. just in agreement yeah, well and no. the setup of the world is is not you're not free to go where you want right i yeah. mean it's, right. it's we focused on Fi but i think that she just voices what the world's telling you at every turn. Yeah, that's right. The world yeah. is constantly yeah. signaling to you, and they're very good at that. I mean, Nintendo gets all the details right. They know how to direct your attention and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but you can feel it, and, it's, and it begins to feel like chains. Or There's a scene in uh, Twilight Princess where you're going down the river, mm -hmm. and yes. I think you've just gotten the bomb arrows or something. It's been a while since I did this, but you can fire explosive arrows, mm -hmm. and uh, you have to blow up the boulders that are in the way so you can continue down the river. And um, I noticed that if you fire your arrow at the boulder before the Zora character has appeared and said, hey, why don't you fire your arrow at that? <laughs> the boulder won't blow up. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. And this is it's just probably a bug or an yeah. oversight, but the fact that they script it so carefully that to them the experience is someone tells you to blow up the boulder and then you do it and, and then you can. feel good that you've yeah. done it or something instead of, I mean, the system doesn't even work. Like if, you, if the boulder doesn't blow up until a fish guy mm -hmm. says blow it up, and that makes the what, world not feel real. But why do you right. think – so, I, I, you know, and I don't want to misrepresent your opinion because in your essay you also talk about how refreshing it was to have the world of Wind Waker, for example, right? Yeah. Like, you know, they, the, the games are 
the games are obviously not all alike. Majora's Mask has a completely different sure, game system, sure. which I thought was just so refreshing when yeah. I first played it. Uh, there are yeah. some elements that are definitely repeated. I, by the way, I'm not a Skyward Sword hater. I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I enjoyed it for its weird kind of like Studio Ghibli quirkiness <laughs> and weird characters. And yeah. like, and honestly, like the the I thought Zelda was really fully realized in the beginning. I really liked that character. I really liked the storyline with Impa. I, I dug that. Yeah. Um, but you know, as an overworld, I thought it was not so successful and it was very hand-holdy yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah I think the success the success with Zelda at the beginning is part of where the disappointment for us like later on you remember like the credit sequence you get to see kind of what she was doing yes yeah, I remember yeah. that and that just kind of sparked our imagination like wow we wanted to go on that you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. what was she doing all that time <laughs> yeah. like yeah. But the game doesn't really but, care about that. Yeah. But why do you think Nintendo ended up in this place where it is much more about signaling? I mean, the games now start and you pick up a rupee and it goes, hold on, Buster, <laughs> this one's worth 10, you know, right, like right. That, which is kind of ridiculous because the game should be able to tell you how many rupees you get just by that counter going up, right? right? Yes, but well, how do you think they ended up with that system? You think it's just because they want to target the game towards like the broadest possible audience, so they're kind of stuck between returning player and new player, or you know? I can just speculate, but I think they're just they really want to make an entertaining game, hmm. and I mean they're great craftspeople. I mean like there's always something great in all of these games. There's always something that is like so well put together or so imaginative. But uh, and I loved Link Between the Worlds, by the way. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a, a big improvement. I yeah. really enjoyed it. I just want to see them. I want to see the uh, people taking care of this franchise. And my opinion only matters, you know, so far. I mean, they can mm -hmm. do what they want. They're creators. But mm -hmm. I want to see them being what I think is creatively healthy. And um, I mean that in, like, a really encouraging way. Like, I feel like there's some timidity that makes them kind of hold back and and kind of defeat the whole purpose of, of, of the game. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, what, what causes that, right? Mm. Because Nintendo's a, a strange company in that they can be the most innovative and the most conservative, right? So they seem to have, like, different moods they go through. And even <laughs> over the systems, like, you know, the Nintendo... If I think back to, like, the sequels to the Nintendo games, right? So, like, Zelda 2, yep. Castlevania 2, um, Mario 2, even when they decided to do the American version of it, yeah. those were very different games. They weren't reiterations of the first game. Oh. But then the Super Nintendo... As great as many great games as they had, though you know, Link to the Past was really like a, a kind of a redo of the first game. Yeah, um, a, you know, a very much more polished one. Super Metroid was a redo of the first. You know, Super Mario World was a, and so they were great games, but they were also like that. To, to the Super Nintendo to me is like a, a safer system. Hmm. Then the Nintendo sixty four went in some crazier directions and yeah. you know didn't have as many games but had some amazing ones so right. i don't know nintendo's like a weird company and i i don't know i can't imagine what kind of brings that out of them what gets them in the con the safe mode success seems to breed safety a little bit and mm -hmm. like when they get down when you push them in a corner and they fight back and then something like cool comes out yeah yeah, yeah. but I, they they succeed with the wii so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like yeah. and i think they they're very focused on generating emotions with their the with the game systems themselves, right? Like mm -hmm. they're before Skyward Sword, it was never about watching a cutscene going like, oh yeah, you know, I feel yeah. so good that I rescued her or right. something like that. It was more about the accomplishment of getting something and the the way they signal to you that you did something good. And like 
sometimes you know a boss fight in a Zelda game can be so freaking easy there's some yeah. where you're like what that was it really three hits mm -hmm. but then you open the treasure chest and they make a really big deal out of you getting <laughs> that and then you get right. an item you're like oh that's cool because I remember using this in two games ago and I'm so happy to have it back and like you do feel good but what you're describing is kind of like the the Demon Souls effect where like a boss fight is so memorable because it kicked your butt right I and know, like right. and you feel rewarded because you keep on thinking maybe I shouldn't be here maybe I'm not ready for this thing and then right. when you win you're like yeah you, know, yeah, you get no. this yeah, there, different it, reward there, factor there is a, a absolutely amazing sense of accomplishment that comes with those games but I feel like uh, with, with Demon Souls or with the From Software games there is a lot of punishment though along the way and ultimately that just kind of makes the the end results so rewarding. I will say though that uh, just going back a quick second to what you were talking about about maybe what also Nintendo thinks about in terms of experience. One trend I'm noticing lately more too is even with a link between worlds soundtrack, like music, timing on music is very very uh, methodical. Like there are certain moments in that game where. I feel like, for example, the last dungeon of that game, um, the theme is constantly changing as you continue to progress. It becomes more heroic. It becomes more bombastic. It becomes more, you know, more instruments get introduced. And I feel like that ultimately, like, like it really surprised me how much that moved me in that game. Even though I felt like A Link Between Worlds was still a, a relatively easy Zelda mm -hmm. um, for, to a degree. I will say this, though, back to um, also about sort of surprise and adventure. It did shock me that the last mime, one of the last mimes you find, you have to bomb a wall you would have never known to bomb. And in, I think that's the okay. first time that's happened in a Zelda in and you remember I don't know now. how long. They used to do that. Yeah. Yeah. still remember that. Wait, when did that happen? Link to the past... Yeah so, yeah, so there is uh, one of the last Mai Mai's you need to gather. Remember, there was like a yeah, hundred sure, sure. of them. I, I don't remember the There's exact There's an count. unmarked wall. Yeah, there was yeah. an unmarked wall oh. you can had hear it. to bomb. Oh. Yeah, and I was just like, what? This hasn't happened in like yeah. forever. Link to the um, Past did that a couple of times where it clink, clink, you know, you yeah. get the wall. and But, yeah. but they kind of dropped that element. Um, they didn't do it very often afterwards. They, yeah. they always gave you the indicator right. hook shot here or, right. you know. Yeah. Um, I... I Maybe it was 2008 or so, Eiji Aonuma gave a talk at GDC where he explained, I mean, he talked about his sort of um, stewardship of the Zelda series and the challenges making Twilight Princess after Wind Waker, which underperformed uh, market-wise. Mm -hmm. And they, he felt tremendous pressure to, to take care of Zelda. And I really felt for him, and I was really impressed by his candor. Yeah. Um, he talked about, you know, he also gave a talk about the Miyamoto way of doing things. I just feel like he's, he, he, I think he loves Zelda and loves his company and mm -hmm. looks up to the people around him. And I think he's, um, feels, I, I think the people making these games feel tremendous responsibility and they want to make something that lives up to the history and to all the fan expectations. Mm. But my read of it is that sometimes they're just, it's hard to be free and take risks, creative risks when. Um, when you have that kind of pressure on you. And I don't know if we're ready to talk about the new game, but I think mm -hmm. it sounds like he's, uh, I don't know, we'll see what happens, but uh -huh. he's talking a lot about taking risks. And um, in fact, in the Hyrule Historia, yeah. uh, he, there's a letter in there where he said, I'm finally starting to think about how to put my own mark on the Zelda series. Maybe it seems a bit late <laughs> yeah. to be doing that, but you know, come along for the ride or, or sure. however you put it. Yeah, yeah and, and I don't, you know, Nintendo has to, has to create games that ultimately a really broad audience of players plays. And we see this with our wikis. We've got strategy guides on the side. We we get emails from people asking for additional help sometimes when there's, some, there's something not in it. And with Nintendo games, it does, like, you get the email from the grandma 
you get the email <laughs> from a grandma who's playing Wind Waker on on you know the old system, not the remake yeah. now, <laughs> and asking you for help. And you get a lot of kids too, right? And like, it's not easy to design a game that all of them can play somehow. Like, I wish they had embraced uh, the kind of the difficulty settings a little earlier. You know, they never, they really didn't do this for a long time where they give you kind of a harder quest right from the get-go. They did this with Fire Emblem, obviously, right, mm -hmm. where you can turn off permadeath now. And thank goodness, because if they had just kind of gotten rid of that feature, it'd be really frustrating for me as a fan of the franchise. Yeah. But um, I wish they did that with more Zelda games because, I mean, falling into lava in... Wind Waker and losing a quarter of a heart is bull, right? Like, yeah. That's just crazy to me. Yeah. It's like, if I fall into lava, I, I want to be punished, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I do feel, though, like Aonuma's mark on the series so far is Majora's Mask, which mm. is surprisingly the one time he was put under sort of, I think, the most pressure they've ever had because it was yeah. a year turnaround. They mm -hmm. basically got a mandate, hey, we want to try making shorter Zeldas in shorter amount of time. Let's reuse everything we learned on Ocarina. But it, it did get out the door relatively within yeah. that year. And it, it had some really cool original, you know, sort of ideas that yeah. they never have tried again to some degree. I mean, the whole mass system, I don't, I mean, has that ever reappeared in a, in a Zelda? I don't think so. No, not like that. No. No. Yeah. Sometimes constraint, like extreme constraint produces that, you know, that you just don't have time to kind of indulge the tradition. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, like you're describing his love and responsibility for it. You know, you'd like to think that would create the best product, but sometimes the things we love and feel the most responsible for it doesn't mean we do right by them, you know, yeah. or like we even, sure. I don't know, it's just hard to kind of, I don't it's a complicated feeling when you love something. And I think most people's love of Zelda is complicated. Right? Yeah. If you've been a longtime fan, then it, it means something to you. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, you've had, you didn't love them all equally. You right. know, you, That's right. You grew older, too, while you were playing. <laughs> yeah, and I got to say, I mean, I'm rarely disappointed by a Zelda game where, you know, you obviously, you felt very strongly about this, wrote this essay. Um you know, Skyward Sword, I I did not take to the art style. That was my first reaction. I'm like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't like this direction. Where like when Wind Waker came out, I was oh, in love. I just and I still love <laughs> to look at that game, <laughs> even yeah. though it shocked most fans at the time, that right? Because they weren't expecting that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult to create these kinds of adventure games where it's like this item lock system of you know slowly letting you get into different areas based on your progress in this in the in the story, and they make it very safe, right? They don't want you to get in trouble where you're frustrated, you put the controller uh, down and walk away, and I think they should trust in their audience a little bit more, because ultimately what they have is something that feels so good. I, I think few people would give up, even if it was a little harder and a little more challenging. Yeah, I think you even, like, it's interesting that Skyward Sword came out, what, like a month after Dark Souls? Mm -hmm. And Dark Souls was just beginning to explode into what yeah. it is now, but yeah. that's one option of, like, making the game harder. But if you just make the game, if you give incentive to to come back, even yeah. if there is an increased, like I think you know, Minecraft, like also like that game is actually, if you play the adventure mode, can be quite hard. Yep. Yeah, kids don't mind. No, you know they, right. they because there's a, there's something that draws them to it. They, they there's a reason to come back. I mean, I think that's true of Demon Souls too. But it's also the, the those games are very difficult and challenging. But I there's an incentive to come back. I want to come back. It, yeah. it, and I think the the solution, though, to a difficult 
game in Minecraft is very similar to Skyrim, where if you spend time in the world, like if you're not ready to face an enemy, you can level up, you can become more powerful. In Minecraft, it's like you take the additional time to construct shelters so that you don't die, right, from enemy and you, attacks. You're careful, right? You don't yeah. just start digging down. And, like you learn rules that you don't, you know. And that's what everybody does, though. In the beginning, like the, that, I, I love that kind of discovery, like where you get yourself into trouble and you fall into a pit and you can't get out, right? Yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of discovery element, and it is it is absent from the Zelda games. That's true. It's it's interesting to me Later. though because I'm thinking, and maybe I'm just overthinking this, but I feel like with most console game production, there is sort of a fear of the player is not going to finish this. The player is going to get rid of this game. That's because or it's a real issue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they don't Minecraft, finish it anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, I Minecraft, guess. you never finish. I guess. Well, I mean, in that can, game. But. When I wonder if Minecraft dodges some of that, I mean, obviously, because it's an independent game, but also because they don't have to deal with the expectation of like that budget and, and sales projections and, and all of that yeah. stuff. Like They can take those risks. That game was right? created differently. It's not story-driven either, right? Like You guys want people to finish your story and get sure, to the point, sure. right? <laughs> and like, I feel like, you know, when you ask the the, the f- folks making Assassin's Creed, like they monitor where every, everybody gets stuck and they even put a mechanism in the game going like, did you like the mission? Did you like the mission? Right, yeah, rate us, rate really. us. Like they want to know so they get you through the story and ultimately give you like a satisfying ending. Sure. And like, I'm sure the Zelda guys feel the same way. But they also, I mean, one other development in, the, in Zelda is the MacGuffin of giving you some sort of means of getting around also happening in Assassin's Creed where it's like you know it's it's a it's a horse it's a boat it's a train it's a bird right like yeah. every game now seems to have to have this kind of this this kind of special theme uh, that they center the gameplay around and like i feel like that development is risky because Sometimes you're going to get the nice thing like Assassin's Creed 4 where the boat is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do next now in London, it's not going to be as cool, right? Yeah. And like, So I wish they were focusing, refocusing on something different, not just the means of getting and, around. And it's interesting on that point because you take Wind Waker, which I guess we're all in agreement is a Zelda we all really admire, right? Um, the way to travel around actually to some degree wasn't that cool. Like the, the boat itself, the At King first, of Red Dragons. Though. No, it, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's great in that it has a personality, but in terms of like actual use and combat like combat in the boat is awful yeah it's no it's nowhere near as empowering as it is on land when you're young link just dismantling enemies taking their weapons taking their money like you have this entire tool set um but yet somehow that game still manages to get around that being lame and ultimately be a much better game because it feels like a free world right it feels like you can go to all these different places and explore yeah but it's not because the boat will turn you around in a second in the beginning in the beginning kills me that's the worst and it's just like that boulder thing where the world looks like there's nothing there you can see to the horizon it looks like you should be able to sail there but your boat has your boat just will decide this isn't the right time for you to go over yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, yeah. you know, like yeah. you're betraying the the system you've made, and you're just making me feel like uh, like I'm a child, like you don't trust me. Yeah, I yeah. think Wind Waker is very good at drawing you, like giving you that longing that mm-hmm. when you see the landscape, it creates that like you know ache for like expo- exploration. It doesn't. I don't think it quite fulfills it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a game that like I, I when I replayed it, I guess what a year and a half ago, the, yeah. when the HD came out, I was like. My memories of this are a little better than when I play, but then when I finished it, I still had good memories. It's a game yeah. that that it sits with you very well, and yeah. maybe it's the charm of the or stuff like that. Like, I don't like most of the dungeons, mm-hmm. and I you know I think there's a lot of parts of it that are like, you know they 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 hint at something great. Like when you go under the the water and you see the underwater Hyrule, and yeah. you're like, oh, I want to go out there. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. go That's walk the, around there. Uh-huh. 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 Or when you fight all of those the magic those moblins <laughs> and stuff in the frozen castle, and there's like. Yeah. 20 of them in one room and you have to figure out like that's the yeah. most exciting 
fighting part, and you know the yeah, fighting's yeah. really good in that game. Yeah, it so it, it teases you a little bit, and yet it's, it's you know it doesn't quite do it, but mm-hmm. it, it it suggests that they they could they have the this, yeah that's going game, on. That was the yeah. beginning of me feeling a bit disconnected from Zelda because. Actually, I remember you, you you referenced the art style, which was very controversial when they unveiled it, and yeah. you loved it right away, yeah. right? Same. Yeah. Well, at first we looked at it and we said, what? Okay. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're like, why How are they changing you? this? No, and what? And remember the first footage we saw was this horribly framed off-screen stuff from Japan, too, right? <laughs> oh, like, that's true. And, and, like, you couldn't really hear it. Well, they had this trailer with Link running, like, hiding yep. With the moblins, the really weird-looking yeah. moblins with the huge jaws swinging <laughs> yeah. around and the lanterns, oh, yeah. Yeah. and he's hiding like with his big eyes behind the wall, and then he runs and jumps off the ledge and grabs a chandelier, and they all tumble off the. Yeah, it was like Looney Tunes. And I thought, oh my god, what is this gonna play like? What is this new Zelda? They reinvented it. That's fantastic because I was a huge fan of the N64 games because of the reinvention, because of all the new systems, the way it felt to do lock-on, the shape of the way you moved, like the way. Mario was all like outward from center in any direction, just sort of scurrying around. Link had focus. You'd lock on, and then he'd do this like mm-hmm. go around things. Or if you just held the trigger not locking on, he'd kind of do a T shape, mm-hmm. like back mm-hmm. and forth, forward, back. And uh, this was going to be a new way to, to feel Zelda and play Zelda. And yeah. then when they demoed it at E3, I remember Miyamoto showing how if you light a torch, light both torches, the treasure chest will appear. And he kind of did a shrug and said, as you'd expect, yeah, light yeah. the torches and there's the treasure chest. And I thought, oh, it really is just going to be just like Ocarina of Time again. And this, that's mm, kind of... There's a lot of torch lighting in Second yeah, Quest. Yeah, yeah I noticed yeah. that. So, um, that's no, something we could... I, I hear you. Like, I, and, and I... I look back at every Zelda game that I played, except I own the CDI ones too, so I always exclude I those. But them. oh god! Um, <laughs> but I look back at them and I remember them all fondly. And like, th- there is definitely this repetition factor. Of course, when you experience them throughout the throughout your gaming career, they're sometimes three or four years removed from each other, right? And so, like, you get to this point where you really want to revisit this world and play this game again. Like, Wind Waker, I, I didn't have an issue where I wasn't disappointed with with the dungeons. There's some some weaker ones. There could be a couple more in it. Um, but ultimately, I really loved the just... I soaked in that atmosphere. Yeah. Like, like, it looked like Looney Tunes, but then it was really quite serious. Yeah, like yeah. the was the uh, the Where the fire the... temple the, the with the dragon on top. Oh right? yeah, like, uh, Dragon Roost great. Island and the music yeah. there. So mm-hmm. uh, and they put you in those well. dark places with the kind of charcoal cues and everything. Yeah, really and the game beautiful. has the best Ganon, like in terms of like story and character. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. end, like yeah, right, and you didn't pull and any punches. Feel like there's that moment when you feel a little for him, like he's kind of got a raw deal. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like the game doesn't usually entertain that notion. No. Yeah, you know? yeah. Why no, did he absolutely. laugh at the end? Why did he laugh at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, no, but so I, w- I wasn't disappointed with that. And even with Skyward Sword, like there, there are all these things where I'm like, oh God, are we going to be stuck in a ultimately not satisfying village for like hours again before you let me explore and like in that game you never really got freed like you can fly around in an overworld that ultimately there's there's not much to do but then you have these little moments where suddenly there's in the sky area is this giant boss that you're fighting and so what yeah, used yeah. to be just a matter of getting around is now a combat you know a, a combat sequence or like the repetition of that giant weird crazy feathered looking guy with the soft toes right like it was just so it was so weird like I didn't expect those things to happen in a Zelda game and yeah. I like that yeah or, I think that's yeah. what probably made me more disappointed because it had good parts uh-huh. and so I was like it was like the overall structure was frustrating but mm-hmm. like 
you know, it had you know some really interesting dungeons. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it had some great Clocktos, the boss fight. Yes. You know? Oh, that fight. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, it it had. Uh, I thought the, the the world design, like the the individual areas, mm-hmm. in particular the forest and the mountain, to me mm-hmm. they they were a big improvement on the kind of just level design. Like you could go yeah. around. I mean, it was just interesting topography to run around. I thought, and then mm-hmm. it gets flooded, so you interact with it yeah. in a different way. There's you or know, you carry the <laughs> carry oh, the device to see the past, yeah. right? Like it that has a lot of good part elements. Absolutely broke me. I will never forget because I was <laughs> reviewing those, the game for notes. Or for one, well, the note part what? wasn't. It was the fact that in the story, specifically at that moment, slight spoiler: if you have not played Skyward Sword, <laughs> please run away. Cover your ears for now. one minute. Yeah, um, you basically uh, face someone who you saved before. Who, according to the last time you spoke to the Dragon Lady whatever she was she says oh you're the hero and then when you're confronting her for this thing you need she goes oh that's so sad and she breaks it and I'm just like are you kidding me (laughs) you know who I am you know what this is about and you're gonna make me chase down these things and, and do this again like that was the breaking point for me I remember too, IGN's reviewer, Rich George, I dragged him in a room. I was just like, I don't believe this. This game's not respecting my time. Yeah, this is yeah, absolutely yeah. like frustrating. Like I don't understand why this, like this feels like busy work. It doesn't feel like a game anymore. Um, and Definitely. it just it, it stands out to me. But meanwhile, a second ago when we were talking about Wind Waker, you guys just remind me another sort of curveball in the Zelda series where when you go see Jaboon, where you're expecting yeah. still that next dungeon, right. and he goes, No, you can just have the pearl. And I'm just like, wait, really? But but I think that was because it was cut, though. It was cut, <laughs> right? but like, you know what? That curveball to this day is still something that I it, will not forget because I went in with a certain expectation and it completely gave me something else. Yeah. No, and that's ultimately, I like those moments where the game does something that's that's different, right? Like where you're lighting torches and something doesn't happen that you expect or like sometimes they they do these moments too where you think you get the treasure chest and then brum, like something closes mm-hmm. and you can't get yeah. to it i love those moments and i almost i wish they approached their the next game with some of those conventions in mind and just played completely against yeah. them so they you know, somebody who's new to the Zelda franchise would never know, but all us returning players would go, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. No, for sure. Yeah. I do want to, before we move on to talking about the next game, game though, I do want to wrap up a little bit more about Second Quest because I feel like we jumped into Zelda oh, yeah. and we <laughs> stayed there, sure. which happens on this podcast from time to time. Um, so you guys chose to uh, look for crowdfunding to get this this book made. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and about ultimately the sort of support you got as a result of that? Well, it was, uh, I think it was Tevis's idea. <laughs> I mean, Kickstarter is incredible because, uh, gosh, I mean, we were doing this thing on our own and trying to figure out how far we could take it. And it started to enter our minds that it could be longer. It could be a graphic novel. And we thought, well, how are we going to possibly fund, you know, cover our time to do all that? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the fact that we could go to go to the Internet and ask people, if you think this is a good idea, let us know and we'll do it was amazing and uh, so heartwarming, the outpouring of support and mm-hmm. everybody tweeting it and everything. Um, uh, so it's incredible and all those people allowed us to make this and now we can, you know, we have a story and we can share it with people. It was uh, also just put us in this position of feeling incredible responsibility uh-huh. to to deliver. Couldn't and screw this up, yeah. No, and, and in a way that was intentional, um, at, le- at least for me, that, um, I wanted to make sure I would have to finish this. Yeah. So that was part of the concept that if we go out and tell everyone we're going to do it and they give us money, we will have to finish it. Now, <laughs> we know that a lot of Kickstarters don't finish, actually. 
but um, I think it's just in our personalities that we were not going to let this, and this go. We decided this, it was, this was 2012, so it was a little before the Kickstarters had started to disappoint people. Mm-hmm. And um, so we didn't really cross our mind that we wouldn't finish it. It was, we knew once we got locked in there that we had no choice and, you know, it's really hard to finish things. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it that was a, a necessary constraint for us. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any sort of roadblocks along that creative path, like in terms of either, you know, parts of the story that you had to cut or certain sort of either layouts or ideas that ultimately you just decided this just isn't going to work out? Well, it definitely took longer than we expected. We we were about a, a, uh, over a year late um, mm-hmm. in delivering. and about, So it took about twice as long. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And so even then, you know, we had never worked together before. And so writing and uh, doing the layouts for the pages, there it's a different way of creating the story. It was a 50-page kind of idea we pitched for the Kickstarter. You know, it's over 100 now. Um, and there were plenty of ways that we just knew we couldn't, you know, to pursue a storyline idea is, you know, so many more pages to, like, we just had to, like, constantly kind of, I don't know, like make those hard choices of like, okay, we got to stay focused on what we can do. And so, yeah, there, mm-hmm. you know, our, the sto- the basically whenever we would work, we would talk and have all these ideas and then we would contract and, you know, pull it back. And then we would get, you know, it was just kind mm-hmm. of this constant motion of that mm-hmm. until we got Yeah, to I mean, uh, it was a very challenging process and we'd never done this before. Like Tevis had written fiction and he's very thoughtful about video games and there was the kind of like critical content we wanted to get into the story that I knew he would have a lot of like uh, gravitas or weight or something to like the thoughts behind it. Um, and I d- I've done comics, but I've never done a graphic novel. And I tend to do comics, like my previous comic I mentioned, A Lesson Is Learned, was different from episode to episode. And we mm-hmm. had this like gleeful restlessness that we'd always change it. So to do a story that was consistent from beginning to end over this kind of scope was just very intimidating and imposing. And um, yeah, so kind of every stage as we moved through the creative process was like scaling another wall, I think. Mm. For and we've also wanted it to like, we started with Zelda, but you know, we we wanted to go beyond that. We wanted to talk about Zelda and talk about, you know, like games more generally, but also like, you know, some of the critical aspects of this are not just about Zelda, the games, but about the way we play games mm-hmm. and, you know, what we're looking for in games. And so like, you know, gaming culture is, very, you know, much more diverse than it appears on the surface. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's also something that, you know, as we've seen in recent years, as kind of crises bubble up and things that were there below the surface come up, we were kind of trying to grapple with some of that, you know, all along. So mm-hmm. um, we were thinking yeah. about the way like, fans of the series and, you know, the way that we all want more from games, and yet it's we don't know how to ask for that, yeah. <laughs> you know, or we don't... Yeah. So, you know, we were also just, I guess, wanting to keep it uh, not just focused only on Zelda, but to get a little beyond that. If you, since you guys have read the story, it also we were looking for, like, a little more kind of real-world resonance with something that is not just about gaming, but, you know, games and life are, like, totally connected. They're not separate worlds. Yeah. So, you know, if we're doing some stuff here with, that's gaming, we really wanted it to resonate with, you know our experiences outside of that. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's great that, you know, stories like this exist. And I, you know, we know game designers are inspired by, by books and comics and movies. And it'd be awesome to kind of, for some of these elements to, to find their way back into games. I mean, I just love, I love Groundhog Day stories. Right. And, and like, I love the concept that you could have a hero who maybe 
doing something for a terrible reason over and over. Mm. You know, like Shadow of the Colossus was right. a game that really resonated with right. me where I'm like, wait, no, I can't, yeah. I shouldn't do this, but I have to, right? Like mm. the game tells me I have to, so I have to do it. But, you know, like life tells we, you no. Right, we still right? remember Shadow of the Colossus, you know, 10 years later because of the sadness we felt while killing something mm-hmm. that was, you know, beautiful and grand mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily do anything. Yeah. But, you know, most, you know, tons of video game narratives just don't want to really, really go go there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they want clean deaths, you know, not mm-hmm. ones that, you know, make you feel bad or yeah. make you feel like not a hero. The, pa- the bad T-Rex doesn't have babies at home. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's interesting because it ultimately dawns on you in that game, especially that you don't know why you're you, you know, an overall purpose why you're doing this, but you're not entirely sure why you're doing this right. to a degree. And I think once I think two or three bosses in, it dawns on you and you go, wait, what is this really about? <laughs> why am I getting darker after every one? Right. But how yeah. cool would that be, though, if, if Link became aware of kind of like the repetition of the storyline and said, I don't want this, right? Like, I don't want to do this, or Zelda. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, it was almost be... like Skyward Sword played with that, and I think mm-hmm. that the series as it's gone on, you know, there's a point when Zelda, like, apologizes to Link mm-hmm. for, like, manipulating him into, like, being the hero and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and the, the game, it's like, it kind of acknowledges it, and then moves on, you yeah. know? And there's yeah. this, you know, the series is so aware of its own history that it mm-hmm. it's aware, but it doesn't... Um, I don't know if it always acts on that awareness, you know. Sure, and it would sure. be cool to have a a link that, you know, just was grappling yeah. with the the echo that you know the repetition. talking about the next Zelda, which Nintendo has been clear will not be at E3. Which is very sad. Very, very sad. If you heard the episode where we talked about it, I was devastated because it's something that last E3, I mean, 30 seconds of footage made everyone just light up. (laughs) Just him standing there. Yeah, and then he moved. (laughs) And then he moved for a brief second. And everyone sort of said, wow, and then the promise of sort of an open world and what that can possibly mean for Zelda. Because it never really, I I don't think it dawned on me at least until that moment that those worlds were never really open, that they were sort of contained spaces to a degree. Wind Waker actually, as you brought up earlier, had the promise of it but didn't really um, deliver that. So then what are our hopes for this open world Zelda, right? What I, I feel like maybe we've been hinting at it a little bit as we've been talking this entire time, but what, what do you ultimately want to see them do? Well, for starters, I think they're on a good path with Link Between Worlds, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, my girlfriend, Sean, and I started playing it at the same time. We got our copies. We were very excited. We went to a restaurant and had a cheap dinner and sat there in the booth and both started playing. And within a few minutes, we were in different parts of the world do- and doing different things. Yeah. And I said, she said, um, I said, did you, how do you get the, the running boots already? She said, I'm not telling you. You have to figure it out. <laughs> so we were just doing it our own way. and It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, if you can go off in your own direction, get lost, have a different experience from someone else, maybe replay the game and do it a totally different way. Mm. That's fun. Yeah, David and I disagreed on A Link Between Worlds uh-huh. because he liked it much more than I did. But um, I think why is that? Just in one <laughs> sentence. Well, just because it, it, to me it was like baby steps. It okay. was like you know, great. We can rent the items. Great. It's a little out of order. It's still so much linked to the past for me, and it's mm-hmm. it's 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 you know, very 
smooth and, and feels good and stuff like that, but I just... <laughs> Too seductive for you. Too I, reassuring. I like Ling to the Five. No, no. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, anyway, I think along those lines that uh, for me, I really need to like relearn the world. Mm-hmm. So even though, like, yes, like you could say that like a link between worlds kind of mixes things up and put things out of order and stuff. It was still, I kind of knew how everything worked, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't. I, you know, I don't like to know. <laughs> like, I just, I, I, it's one thing to have an open world where you can go anywhere. I mean, that that's possible. There's many games that do that. That's right. Um, it's that I, I want to like go to somewhere and say, oh, that's that's a dungeon I'm gonna do later. Oh, I, I don't even, want, I don't want to be able to read the world. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 I've often wrote, written about like mystery and wanting something that really, you know, when you look at a world, you have all these feelings about going into it and ooh, what's over there what's over there and mm-hmm. um i guess i just kind of want to learn the language of zelda again and that that's a that's a more radical like yeah that's obviously asking a lot like you know because of the iterative process of games like you know yeah, yeah. but I, there's something about that um that language and the way that it that i read it that i want to um be able to you know get lost um and not just get lost because there's not like you know a helper or a little signpost but also get lost like I don't know, like, how I don't know what I'm doing. That's not usually something that people like look for in yeah, games. Yeah. I want to not know what I'm doing. Usually, you right. want to feel good about what you're doing. But you know, some of my most powerful game memories. I, I remember when I was younger, I played uh, Ultima Five, and I never really got very far in the game. Um, but I accidentally went into the underworld and started following a river and I just got totally lost. Mm-hmm. And I w- and it was an overwhelming feeling of, you know, like experiencing a world and, and yeah. it was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, it's a game, but it, it, it stays with me till this day. And so sure. if I could have anything, you know, like, you know, get, get in over my head and have to get my way back out and, and uh, I don't know, not even, I, I want secrets to be secret. I mean, that doesn't sound like to me much to ask, but, you know, that yeah. a secret actually be secret. But yeah. Zelda games don't have many real secrets. That's why you remember the bomb, the wall that didn't have a marker, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. so that's, the, those are the kind of rules I would love to, like, relearn in a game and really kind of feel like it was an adventure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I come back to that word because it just, I don't get that in games very much. Sure. I kind of know how really everything true. works. If you, if they, if they can introduce new systems that you don't, they don't understand initially and you have to really learn the rules of the world again then it would feel I don't want like a skill a tree I don't want like a collecting mechanic here I don't want an upgrade system I know what those things are yeah. you know yeah, yeah. I, you know I, I, it's oh. interesting yeah, no no oh, were you going to respond or I no no it's, it's, it's funny because like it, we, we sometimes talk about Destiny because Jose always wants me wants me to play it I do say, even no. though it's, it's a difficult no, game I've, to get people to play sometimes I've played too much but you know Destiny to me had a couple of elements where I didn't understand what was going on I'm like why are there lights in the oh. sky and I gotta cleanse myself so I can see and like I remember and, and this they, conversation but it was very a, well but it was like like I love I love it when I can figure something out and I understand it and I'm not standing there going like okay this is alien technology I just got to suspend disbelief and and just that's just how it works like it bothers me I need to explain the world but I do like I do like it in games when you open a door and it's the inside of a volcano and you go in and you're losing hearts and <laughs> I like it when that is not just a locked gate 
where you can't do anything, where you can mm. actually inch forward and you can get to the treasure chest and you're like, yes, I got something. And you kind of feel like you tricked the world. The world doesn't want you to be there, but you can get in. Or you dive and I can't dive far enough and I'm losing hearts, but I still make it. That's the stuff I love. And right. like, if they open up the world to let you use your limited abilities to get something it feels and like then more later. Bit, yeah. right? Because I feel like the problem is when you play in a Zelda world, the Zelda world has a god. Yeah. Right? Maybe we can call him right. like whatever. There's a god. It has three gods. Miyamoto. Yeah. Yeah. Miyamoto. And, and you can feel the presence Goddesses. of the creator at every turn. Right. Mm -hmm. You can feel that. Whereas, like, I want a world that feels like it has no god in games. <laughs> you know, one where I there's nobody in charge, and you know Chaos. that makes a world. Well, it just makes the world feel real in a way mm -hmm. that it doesn't just feel like a designed clockwork thing. I'm gonna just go through. Instead, it's like, what the hell? So wait, does Demon Souls have a god? Well, the truth is Demon Souls delivers in many ways. It doesn't have an open world and mm -hmm. it, it it feels designed um very designed. So mm -hmm. I I I don't think it really does that. I think that it just it's design you know gets in you like your nervous system in a way. It and does. I, and I you know I really like when a game makes me sweat when it makes me feel dangerous feelings, you know, like when yeah. I'm feeling like <laughs> rattled or something and I guess Zelda has not done that for me in a while I feel like very like hmm but, nice you know yeah. but do you like those moments like in the Souls games and it happens in Destiny too, where you figure out a way to beat an enemy but you're kind of beating their AI or you're like you're you're standing on top of something and they can't quite get to you and they walk around and bump into walls like do you get satisfaction out of that because like I can see that element too there there are a lot of players who are like no that's part of the game you know that's not a bug that I can safely so kill this enemy I figured the, out this game yeah. world and I'm well, winning I think anything in the game is fair like I you know like they, they made the game the Cheesing. way it is so like if that's possible you know if you're playing with someone else I think then you bring in like you know in a fighting game, like what's fair and stuff, and that's mm -hmm. between you and the other person you're fighting. But when it's just you in a game, if it's permissible, like <laughs> I don't, you know, that's I, I don't know. I think like for in, in, a, in like Demon Souls, you use the environment to your advantage. You 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 go for any advantage you can get. Yeah, you know, you were just like tooth and nail. You were trying to like get somewhere in there. So like right. yeah. you do what you got to do, and I I like that desperation. Most games, you know, if I feel out figure out the best technique or something, then. Yeah. It's like somebody else already did that, and I'm just following in their footsteps. And, and it I want to go the my only, own path. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it becomes the only technique, which right. ultimately then takes away from it. Right, um, then you just start repeating what works. Yeah. And I, I do have hopes that um, with the next Zelda being open world, that at open world impacts um, that Zelda in a way that maybe nothing has before. Um, it's funny because just more recently I've been a bit more acquainted with open world games. I started playing Xenoblade X, uh, which is on Japan, uh, and that, you know, there there is sort of a thrill to ending up in areas you're not supposed to be because mm -hmm. you'll look around and be like, man, that monster is a level 80-something, and if it turns around right now, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Like, there's nothing that can save me. So there is a, a thrill to that. But something it has that this open world with Zelda has me thinking a lot about is just the notion of side quests and the notion, or the notion of a second quest, something that's not just that main story path. And how will Zelda adapt to that? Because I feel like when I look back at the other Zeldas, the the side quests were sort of mini game ish. They were, you know, if you take Majora's Mask, there's like you know the the carnival games you play, mm -hmm. or there's the occasional win a horse race against someone. And they still feel very gamey. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like it, it's an adventure or that you're a hero. It just feels like, well, I have to do this thing to ultimately get a prize that I'm going to mm -hmm. need somewhere else. And that's not to say they're not entertaining. I feel like they can be, but I just wonder if 
Zelda Wii U NX, whatever you want to call it, will Uh-oh. inevitably explore the notion of, of what it means to be like a hero in this big world, you know, because I feel like every game is framing that to a degree that you are the hero and that you are going to save everyone or you're the hero no one ever heard of yeah. in most Zeldas. You are. Like, no one really recognizes. You're that not the you, hero of Kavach. Yeah, the Kavach. <laughs> you know about the hero of Kavach? Uh, yeah. uh, but, uh, but no, but I mean that I, I just hope that somehow that sort of builds into it. And I don't, some people would say, well, I want Skyrim. I want Zelda to be more like Skyrim. I kind of don't want that to a degree. Like, I'm one of the few Skyrim haters on this planet, really? actually. Yeah. I'm See, not fond of Skyrim yeah. either. I yeah. love Skyrim, but I also, <laughs> like, I also like a Zelda world that has a couple, has a bit more scripting. Like, I am fine with like the Majora's Masks, um, the the story quests where you follow someone and they do the same thing every day. Obviously, in the in the narrative, that's how it works with a three day setup. But I do like that there's a little bit more structure to a character doing something. You can figure out what they do versus Skyrim, where quite frankly, it can accidentally kill someone in town. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and that has consequences. <laughs> I know, but that bothers me. <laughs> that has straight no, up consequences. I, yeah, I, and I think there's is one quest. Sorry, uh, in Majora's Mask that does reflect that a little bit it's the lover's quest yes that right. you have to sort of piece together that what happened and then come to his rescue that's probably one of the few side quests i could think of off the top of my head and maybe it's just because it's one of the most recent zelda i've played but where i felt like wow this was this was dark and this was different and this was you know there was true love at the end and all this but, stuff but even the in that game even like when the letter gets delivered to the girl in the in the inn right like just witnessing the the exchanges between the characters like seeing the postman arrive or seeing the goron arrive and ultimately you're stealing his room like yeah. all those interactions were really clever yeah. those would be really difficult to do without scripting I mean either they're a cutscene like in the game like yeah. Skyrim like some guy walks in and does it or you know Oh, you wouldn't even notice that that was going on. Yeah, you know, no, it's like I, Majora's Mask pulled that off no, really I well, like and I your, want more of that kind of stuff too. Yeah, and and I do like your point because scripting ultimately helps a lot of that work to a degree. And it is hilarious that then you can take that letter and turn it into toilet paper for the hand in the <laughs> yeah. bathroom. Let's just exactly. go here. Here you go. Goodbye. But this, doesn't the scripting work in Majora's Mask because of the repetition of days? For sure. So you understand yeah. it in the context of time travel and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. When it's in a game and there, you can feel the scripting, but it's just like happening right now yeah, and then, yeah. then the fakeness comes out then the kind of like unbelievable sure, sure. for sure yeah, yeah. yeah. so something about fair. Majora's Mask structure that really allows that to have meaning in a way that you would get annoyed actually that's a great point because because of that structure of three days you ultimately discover that some characters who are in a certain place on day one aren't necessarily day on day two or day three right, like it right. does radically change the way that works, but then Branching, you can just go yeah. back to the the start. I bring this up too because when we last saw Zelda, um, they showed you know sort of that map on the gamepad, and it was a clock there. And I'm just like, well, why is that there? Why do I need to know what time of day it is? Like, what does that ultimately mean? I have to go speak to someone at a certain time and sort of discover things that way. Did, Are they going to lean on that or not? I mean, I'm assuming there's scripting related to day of uh, like time of day. Um, because they they said big enemy you may encounter big enemies in the in the overworld and I got a feeling like Nintendo doesn't leave anything to chance they want that battle to be perfect right and so they're gonna make I think they will have more of that kind of scripted encounter feeling yeah. so they feel like meaningful well constructed yeah. boss battles but we don't know yet if there is a MacGuffin in this game right like whether you're the little train driver or the bird flyer or whatever mm-hmm. right like there may be sure. an element to it. Um, there could be a link to the past type element. Hopefully, they're not repeating themselves. Mm. I mean, I was um, I was disappointed a little bit when I saw the overworld at first. 
I mean, I love the look and the art style, but I felt like it was a little empty. Like I wanted to see someone walk by. Like I wanted to get that sense that you're seeing a living world. Um, But at the same time, you also didn't see hookshot here, target there, and all that kind of stuff either. It's hard to tell from the footage because it was off the screen. And I delved into a NeoGAF thread that was getting pretty... Pretty Cubic square um, inches yeah. per, per between yeah, like There are a lot of little things that people found in there, and they're starting to make inferences about the world and uh, almost like spoilers. Like, oh my yeah. God, how did you figure that out? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there's it's hard to tell. From the footage. It's always hard to tell. Like we've been watching, you know, previews of games all our lives, and, and we have this whole imaginative relationships with previews, right? Mm-hmm. And then after, usually within ten minutes of actually starting the game, and you're like. Oh, I see what it's yeah. doing. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, you can put it into the familiar genres and frames you know. Whereas yeah. then when it's a preview, it still seems kind of like maybe it'll like radically change my yeah. world because we've had a few games that when I finally played them, like Mario sixty four, yeah. it like radically changed my you know. Oh like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, and that yeah, actually happens like... more often than you think. Like if you think back to the kind of jump and climb games, a la a la Tomb Raider, where when you're hanging from a ledge, you can go left or right, and then you can climb up. And nobody, if you saw a, an edge or a wall, that automatically meant you couldn't go any further. And like it wasn't until, I forget if it was Prince of Persia probably, where you could then go around the corner. Everybody's like, oh, of course you can go around corners when you're hanging on a ledge, right? Like all those little things changed over time. You're learning to read mm-hmm. the, you know, the visual information in the, the world. You learn yeah. to read it differently. And now it would feel weird if you were restricted from making those moves, right? right. Like right. it would be strange that you couldn't do that. Yeah, the, the only uh, other thing I bring up is the one positive thing for Skyrim that I would agree on is that because of the way it's designed, there is room for a lot of different stories, a lot of just spontaneous events where like, hmm. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to shepherd this poor man out of a village and all of a sudden a dragon shows up and yeah. he gets killed. And I'm just like, how many people did that happen to? You know, like it, it just feels like it, anything can happen at any moment. I don't know, I, I mean, I do want Zelda to have some aspects of that, but I don't, at the same time, it became very frustrating to me because of that. Because that one guy I was trying to get out of town, Every which way I tried to get him out of town, he got killed. And I ultimately came up with, well, I don't want to save you anymore. I'm done with this game. Nintendo will never make that game. Like, they will never make yeah. that game because they want, they're want they so meticulous. They're like Marionettes player, players, right? Like, they want to give you the... They want to give you the kind of impression that it's a living world, but they don't want you to witness something that's broken. They don't want you to see behind the cardboard facade and notice that it's all strange. You mean dragons that fly yeah, backwards or things w- like that? I mean, in Skyrim, an encounter can be incredibly impressive where you see two NPCs squaring off and a bunch of wolves running, and you're like, oh, my God, right? Like you witnessed an event. Or one of those wolves could just take off and fly into the sky. <laughs> and like, and like, you know, that happens all the time. Where like the AI is broken and something happens, or somebody stands in front of you and just goes and dies. And you're like, what? Yep. You know? And like, Nintendo will never go for that. I do think they will yeah. always have a little bit more control over your experience. Yeah. I wonder if they would though let, let in a little more tragedy because mm. I feel that like some great. of them, you know, like there's no, it doesn't have to be emergent necessarily, but mm-hmm. it could still be, you know, something lost. I just feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, the game flirts with that sometimes. You know, End of Wind Waker has a little bit of that melancholy, and there's you know Majora's Mask for sure. And there's this, I don't know. It's like the hero's quest should have a a cost. Like it shouldn't be like all success. You know, yeah, yeah. like if you like you know the Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery game. You know, you're getting weaker as you play. It's getting yeah. harder because you're losing hearts, and mm-hmm. that that's felt somehow. You know, I'm doing something really hard. I'm getting hurt but I'm getting like not just tougher but I'm getting like more beat down and I I, I can't imagine them doing that necessarily for Link but 
the idea that, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, heartache in this or something, you know, just a little like human and memorable and as opposed to just like total victory. Sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, that moment where you say goodbye to the grandmother is the shortest like sad moment Mm -hmm. in Wind Waker. Yeah. You feel it and then it's like, nope, you're back. But I think we love Wind Waker in part because the faces Mm -hmm. are so good in that. Like it's it's the style, but like I I just you you get they are so expressive Mm -hmm. and you just have a human kind of connection to this cartoon that, you know, is pretty rare in, in definitely in realistic games because then yeah. you just, that's not a face, you know? <laughs> so. No, they did a really nice job with that. Yeah. I thought so I've been too. thinking about what I want in the game and I think more than anything, I want them to surprise us and mm-hmm. I want them to take risks and change it and not be afraid of us getting bored too quickly <laughs> and not be afraid that we'll say, hey, the tunic's not green. That's bullshit. I can't play this game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've, I've heard fans... Um, I've heard fans complain about that, like, his tunic's not green. What's happening? Is mm. a ponytail. Where's the hat? What's going on? This isn't Zelda. But that I, seems that, to be... Like, if, n- it might just be a small detail, but it might be emblematic of their attitude that they want it to... They're, they're going to change some things fundamentally and make you a little uncomfortable, and hopefully they'll carry that through. And I, I can certainly come up with a list of my own things I love that I'd love to see. But more than anything, I'd, I don't want to dictate... I like. Like, I don't imagine how Numa's listening to this and scribbling down everything we say. <laughs> but I want them to just be, like, creatively healthy and take risks. And Nintendo, yeah. it, they, I just think they can do that sometimes. Yeah. They do. Like, sometimes they don't listen to anybody. And we think, like, what's going on with yeah. them? But I respect that. You know, like, there's, there's a downside to it when they're more conservative or kind of, like, a little island that doesn't, you know, I, you know our, our book is about criticizing island mentalities. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, sometimes you've got to shut off all of the, the noise and all of the all the expectations that you know are out there, you know, that the internet just keeps in your head all the time. And, yeah. you know, not take risks with the audience. And I don't know, like, Nintendo and, can do that sometimes. They th- have. That's what happened with Wind Waker. And, you know, I, I was at E3, I was, um, uh, I was hanging out with some Nintendo folks when mm. the reactions for Wind Waker were coming in. Yeah. And um, Japanese or American? Japanese. And there was there was the the question someone said Miyamoto asked why are people not clapping, right? Like there was there <laughs> oh was my God. where you could easily <laughs> imagine <laughs> why you so could ominous. but why you could imagine you could imagine today's date that a company like that would be shaken by that fan yeah. reaction would say well, maybe that's the wrong direction. Maybe we got to add a grown-up link to our story and at least make him look cool and give him a big chainsaw or something, right? Like and chainsaw. that 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 risk is Don't out there that. too when you when you instantly take in that feedback. So I I'm always happy when a game comes out that is just completely bonkers and disregards what fans are asking for. Uh, at the same time, like it's kind of tough to say that if you played the next Zelda game and that Zelda theme wouldn't kick in, just like with Final Fantasy, you want that theme to play, like, I'd be a little sad, too, you know, mm-hmm. if it was a complete departure from that. Yeah. And that's a green tunic, like, effect, but right? But maybe, yeah. you know, if we yeah. have higher expectations for the game, you know, I, I think we can have higher expectations for ourselves, right, and our own reactions, and yet at first it right. might feel kind of mm-hmm. like, but, you know, you, it, you'll probably keep playing, yeah. and then maybe after a few hours you'll feel differently, and I don't know, I feel like players are up for more than they say sometimes. Yeah. You know, the reaction yeah. online is one thing and the, the, the knee-jerk is one thing, but I think players are more... more than they let on are, you know... They can... <laughs> yeah. I, I just think the conservatism is partly like a... It's partly real and it's partly in the in the air and it's kind of like a contagion, but it's... Uh, I don't it, know. I, it I all, think, 
people can do more than they say. It all goes back to fairy tales and repetition of all <laughs> yeah, the but, elements. But it's all you, Bethlehem based. <laughs> yeah, but, but when you look at that reaction to then the reaction they got for Twilight Princess when they f- when they oh, first yeah. showed yeah. it and how people erupted, like it was just. And they all looked at it and immediately said, this is what I want. Yep. And then it and wasn't until later people, <laughs> yeah, people now look back on Twilight Princess and, and a lot of them say, man, this was Ocarina of Time again for the most right. part. And this wasn't something that different. It was a bigger scale. It was, it was different art direction, but it wasn't that different. Sometimes we don't know what we want. You no, know, of like course We think not. we know what we want yeah. and then you know, we get it and we're disappointed or we don't get it and we're surprised yeah. or... I mean, remember the reaction to Metroid Prime being a first-person game, right? Right. Like, it was brutal. The feedback on our side was so negative to the Mm -hmm. concept, and nobody could imagine that you could do Super Metroid in a first-person perspective, right? And, like, I don't know how you feel about that game. I really, really loved it. I loved it. I haven't played it in 10 years, but it was amazing back then. And that's, I mean, that's the kind of Nintendo I want where where they basically just say, all right, we're going to do something completely different and unexpected. And like, yeah, the the reception may not always be positive, and then ten years later, everybody says that was the best thing ever. Right? Are you saying people... that about like Wind Waker huh? right now? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Wind Waker, honestly, I mean, Sorry. no, we we really liked the game when it came out. Like, we gave it a nine seven, yeah. I think, really high score. But like leading up to the release, like you were when you were talking with friends, you're like, oh man. Video games are growing up. I wish, you know, I wish sure. I had a Zelda game that looked, you know, was the most technologically advanced, good-looking, mature game, right? And I was glad critics came around on it uh, versus sort of the outright response to it. Like, I'll never mm-hmm. forget the first line of the EGM review for Wind Waker because it said, what were we so worried about? Yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, what was it? Because it's not, this is great. Yeah. You know, uh, you were going to say, David. Oh, uh, just, uh, I like how you put it that we could have a, uh, higher expectations of ourselves or something that that I, I think uh, I'd like fans to be open-minded and just and and like look at this as an artistic work that uh, and that it's not always about like it's not about uh, serving up a fast food meal that's going to be the same so you feel reassured it's like they spend five years on this or whatever it is and hopefully they'll they're like they're challenging themselves and they're going to surprise us mm-hmm. i think that's why people love nintendo because they take these left turns and do these weird things that we wouldn't have predicted and they've you know they've influenced the industry so many times i mean they're yeah. they're among the best for sure definitely definitely well uh, thank you so much for coming in this yeah. is a really thank great you. discussion thank you. really really happy to have you here if you're interested in second quest please stop what you're doing right now go over to <laughs> www.secondquestcomic.com uh, you can pick up either an electronic version or order the hardcover, which we have a few. They're really cool. I'll put some photos up with the post for this episode. And thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a weekly show on IGN, but we also have a ton of content on IGN, which you can come and check out. As for the podcast itself, uh, we really could use, uh, first of all, thank you for all your support, but feel free to email in. Let us know what you think. What do you want to see in the next Zelda? Let us know at NBC at IGN.com. If you sent in NX predictions for last week's show, don't fret. Next week, we'll be talking a little bit more about that, too. Uh, since we had some guests, we wanted to respect their time this week. Um, and lastly, make sure that you leave us a review if you haven't already. Head on over to iTunes. Those always help with visibility. Or email us your feedback at mvc at IGN.com. So you can find us on Twitter. You can find Pear Schneider at... Pear IGN. You can find David at... At David Hellman. You can find Tevis at... At Tevis Thompson. And you can find myself at Jose underscore Otero. Thank you very much for listening. And we will be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.